Good morning, church. Let's pray to begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your holy and inerrant word. And we pray now for your spirit to be with us as we hear your word preached. Use your word to minister to each of us, all for your glory and the good of your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, if you're like me, you're adjusting to doing everything now from the comfort of your own home. I never imagined myself having to preach a sermon in my own house. I remember initially thinking to myself, how strange is that? I'm going to be preaching in my living room? Who does that? And then I realized just how privileged we are to be a church that actually owns a church building that has a sanctuary with pews and a fancy audio system because that's where we expect to hear the Bible preached. That's normal for us. But for countless churches across the world and even in our own country, there are people gathering in homes and preachers have been preaching out of living rooms way before this pandemic started. And that's their normal. So even though it's strange to us, that is a true expression of the local church. Now, granted, preaching to a camera with no one else in the room, that's not normal. As I've already said, all of this virtual preaching is really just us uh, adjusting and accommodating to this this very strange season that we're in I hope this never feels normal this this virtual experience I hope it's never normal for us but if we're just talking about the setting we're talking about preaching in a living room instead of in a church building the fact that I initially found that to be awkward and strange really reveals just how privileged I am I get to pastor a church that owns a building. And no matter how much we wish it was renovated and expanded, let's just recognize just how privileged and wealthy we are. You know, I, I know we do live under the shadow of all these really large mega churches in our city. And so it's easy for us to think like we're just an average church, but compared to the global church, we are definitely a wealthy church. And sometimes it does take a crisis like a global pandemic to realize just how privileged and wealthy we are and how wealth does give us a significant advantage over churches and communities that have far less. Friends, that's basically what we're going to see in the book of Proverbs this morning. We're going to be studying a few Proverbs that have to do with the issue of wealth. We're in this section now in our sermon series. We're no longer walking through whole chapters um, going verse by verse, but by the time you get to chapter 10 of Proverbs, we're now introduced to a laundry list of various Proverbs that don't seem to have a clear, continuous theme connecting them. So as I said before, what we're going to be doing now is we're going to be looking at each of these Proverbs individually and focusing more on a particular topic each time. So for today, the topic is wealth. And I'm not here to speak negatively about wealth. I mean, maybe that's what you assume the sermon is going to be about when you hear the preachers talking about wealth. Isn't that what preachers like to do, you know, to, to make us feel guilty for having wealth or for not giving enough of it away? And th doesn't the Bible say that, that money is the root of all evil? Well, actually, 
No, that's, that's not what the Bible actually says. If you look in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So the Bible condemns greed, the love of money. It doesn't necessarily condemn the possession of money itself. And so that's what we're going to see here in the book of Proverbs. We're going to see that wealth is truly a blessing. So we shouldn't take it for granted. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. And at the same time, though, we shouldn't speak of, of poverty as if it were some kind of virtue. In times of trouble, like a global pandemic, it's clear that there is a significant advantage in being wealthy over being poor. So let's not kid ourselves about that reality. But at the same time, let's not kid ourselves into thinking that just having wealth is going to be enough. That wealth can be a rock of refuge for us. That it could be our strong fortress. Don't look to your wealth and your privilege as a source of security. I think that's where we tend to err. That's where we go wrong. And so this morning, I've got three warnings for us as we look at the book of Proverbs. First, don't despise your wealth. Second, don't trust your wealth. And third, don't waste your wealth. So let's start with our first warning. Don't despise your wealth. In other words, recognize it for the blessing that it truly is. If you study all of the Proverbs and what they have to say about wealth, half of them are going to speak positively about it. Half of them are going to count wealth as a blessing from God. Now, of course, the other half is going to be warning us not to trust in wealth, and we're going to get to that in our next point. But the point we're going to make here is that having wealth is a blessing from the Lord. That's what we read in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15. I'll, I'll read it again. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Now, there's an obvious contrast being made here between the rich man and the poor, and it's clear that the rich man is in a more advantageous position. In that sense, he is blessed. If you just keep reading in chapter 10, in Proverbs 10, verse 22, listen to this. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. So having wealth is a blessing. And sure, maybe you've heard someone say that, well, you know, being poor is a blessing in disguise. But I doubt that was ever said by an actual poor person. According to Proverbs 10:15, poverty ruins people. No one should count poverty a blessing. I mean, just think about how how this present crisis has disproportionately affected poor families and the homeless community. It has also exposed the significant privilege that we enjoy due to our relative wealth, privileges that I think we too easily take for granted. Take social distancing, for example, and this stay-at-home order in particular. Obviously, it's affected all of us. Obviously, all of our lives have been changed. Most of us are adjusting to having to work from home, uh, from having to homeschool all of our children, to ration our toilet paper. I mean, it's a, it's a hard time for all of us. 
We miss our normal routines. We miss our friends. We miss our extended family. We miss each other as the church. But in reality, for most of us, we're going to be just fine. The vast majority of us are salaried employees. Our paychecks are already direct deposited in the first place. We have an actual home to stay at home in. And we have Wi-Fi that keeps us connected, that allows us to keep working from home, shopping online, streaming entertainment, keeping in touch with friends and family. And please understand, I'm not trying to make light of our suffering. I mean, maybe some of you have gotten sick like me. Or some of you have, have been laid off. Uh, maybe some of you, for, for you, your, your financial portfolio has taken a huge hit recently. And I'm not trying to diminish the significance of any of those true losses. But I am trying to put them in perspective. Compared to the average Christian around the world, we enjoy a relative wealth and privilege. We have ready access to shelter, nutritious food, health care, education. I mean, can you just imagine not having a home to stay at home in? Imagine if you had to live paycheck by paycheck and there's no work for you right now to earn another paycheck. And the fact that we can just sit back and only imagine these realities, that just speaks to our privilege. Look, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty, but I am trying to make you feel thankful. Our relative wealth is a blessing from God. So please, don't despise it. Don't take it for granted. And don't make light of just how ruinous poverty can be. It's fair to say that simplicity is a Christian virtue. And you can make the same argument for frugality. But poverty, oh, poverty is no virtue. Poverty is a consequence of the fall. Poverty wouldn't exist if it weren't for the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world. So that means no one should ever seek out poverty. We should instead grieve poverty and give thanks to God every single time he lifts someone out of poverty or keeps us from falling into it. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. I know many of you don't consider yourself wealthy, but really, who are you comparing to? The rea reality is that even you high school students, even you college students who don't have a job, the reality is that you still live in privilege. And those of you that have mounting school debt, I know that is a concern for you, but you are preparing for professions where you're going to be fine so long as you're responsible with that debt. I think very few of us would actually fit under the category of the poor, so please, Acknowledge your wealth. Don't despise your wealth. See it instead as a blessing. And once you do see it as a blessing, then now ask yourself, how can I bless others? How can I be a blessing to other people? How can I help to alleviate the, the ruinous effects of poverty? I want to give you some ideas in a minute. But right now, right now, I want to turn to our second warning. So the first was, don't despise your wealth. The second is this, don't trust your wealth. Don't treat your wealth like a security blanket. I think that's one of the biggest temptations for us as a church in particular. We turn to our wealth 
for security. Look back at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. Now, in contrast to the poor and to the poor's poverty, the rich man's wealth, as we said, is a blessing. It's like living in a strong city that can withstand ruinous effects. But now let's look at our second set of Proverbs. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 18, verses 10 to 11. I'll read it again. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Now notice how the contrast is different in these verses. As you can see, the first half of verse 11 is an exact quote of Proverbs 10:15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. But here the rich man is contrasted not against the poor man, but against the righteous man. And the righteous man is the one who runs to the Lord God for safety. The name of the Lord is his strong tower, but for the rich man, it's his wealth. He runs to his wealth to find security. Now, I think it's helpful for us to remember that ancient cities all had walls. Ancient cities were fortified. I I know we don't immediately think of high walls when we think of a city because we're modern people and we live in modern cities. And yeah, we have city borders, but no one imagined erecting city walls around it. And so really you have to travel to either Europe or maybe Asia, and there you can visit some ancient city walls, or you can go up to Quebec Uh, Maybe you've seen the the ramparts of Quebec City that were built and fortified during the French and Indian War. You have to really go to some of those places to get that visual to remind you just how, how important and how privileged it was back then to live within a strong city. In the ancient world, outside of the city, outside of the city walls were dangers untold. If you, if you lived in a village outside the city wall, you were subject to unyielding forces of nature. A powerful storm, a mighty flood, uh, a forest fire could, could destroy your home, could destroy your entire village. You'd be in danger of wild animals on the prowl. You'd be in danger of, of invading forces, whether an enemy tribe or an enemy nation attacking you. If If you're not in a city, if you are not behind the defenses of a strong city wall, then you are at great risk for ruin. And all of that makes sense. As we've already seen, we've seen the Bible describing wealth as a blessing. Wealth is like living in a strong city. It it, it is a blessing. But of course, look at Proverbs 18, 11 with me again. Notice how it doesn't say that a rich man enjoys the blessing of living in a strong city or it doesn't compare his wealth to a strong city. No, listen, it says his wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Another translation puts it, the rich imagine it an unscalable wall. The rich imagine their wealth to be an unscalable, impenetrable wall that is going to keep them safe and secure. Look, it's one thing to appreciate the relative wealth that God has blessed you with, but it is a completely different thing 
to turn to that wealth and to begin to trust in it for your source of security, to treat it as this security blanket that keeps you all comfortable and peaceful. I think for, the most, for most of us, that's probably gonna be our biggest temptation. We're typically not tempted towards a very lavish, reckless lifestyle where we are just misusing and, and abusing our wealth. I assume for the most part, we're all pretty responsible with our money, that we're, we're pretty much fiscally conservative, we're risk averse, we, we, we save up, we, we even have an emergency fund for, for crises like the one we're going through right now. And so I would say that for most of us, our temptation is not towards misusing wealth, it's actually towards trusting wealth, relying on our wealth as our source of security, as our strong city. You know, with the crash of the stock market recently, I'm not surprised that God is using this to expose a danger within us. Maybe he's exposing how our financial portfolios, our retirement funds, our equity investments are turning into city walls within our minds. We're imagining them to be unscalable walls. Two months ago, we, we could have never imagined those walls would come crashing down. Maybe this is God showing you something about yourself. When trouble comes, when a crisis hits, who do you run to? Did you run to your wealth? Did you turn to your investments and to your savings as a source of security? And you know that's true. You know that's the case for you if right now you're panicking over the crash of the stock market, if you're panicking over the over the financial future of your family or of our country in general. You know, unless there is something that you can actually do, a responsible action that you can take that's going to affect the future, which, you know, I honestly doubt that any of us can do anything right now, then, you know, all that panicking that you're doing is doing you and your family and this country no good. It's just simply revealing what you ultimately trust in. There are two types of people right now who aren't panicking over the crashing stock market. The first are poor people, and they have their own issues to panic about, but it's not the stock market because they had no wealth to trust in in the first place. The second type of person who's not panicking over the stock market are the righteous. And it's not because they're better than you. It's not because they're stronger than you and that problems and in, in, in trouble just doesn't phase them and, and doesn't bother them. No, the righteous, as the Bible describes, are simply those who trust in the Lord God as their strong tower. When trouble comes, when a crisis hits, the righteous run to the Lord for their security. Does it mean they never have any fears? Does it mean they never worry? Of course not. But the righteous are the ones who believe that, you know, I could lose everything right now. Everything could be stripped away, but as long as I have the Lord and He has me, I'm gonna be fine in the end. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's word 
abideth still. His kingdom is forever. That's the attitude of the one who looks to the Lord as his strong tower. He can withstand the day of trouble. He can endure even the day of his own death. It makes me think of that parable of Jesus about that rich man. You know, that man who trusted in his wealth. It was his security. His wealth was his strong city, his strong tower. So with all these crops that he began to produce, he thought to himself, well, I'm just going to build up bigger barns in order to store up all of this wealth. And so once his peace of mind was stored up behind what he imagined to be unscalable walls of wealth, he then said to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You know, friends, the entire book of Proverbs is really just one big warning to not be this fool. Don't be the one who is unprepared for your own death because you ran to the wrong tower, because you hid yourself behind the wrong set of walls. Your wealth is worthless on the day of judgment. How is money going to stop death? How is money going to stop that tragedy from happening? Wealth is no refuge. It is no strong tower. Only God is. Only your relationship with the Lord God is a sure investment. He's the only strong tower for you to run to. I hope you see. I hope you see how how these proverbs that we're looking at are trying to draw for us a very careful balance. On one hand, it's saying to be grateful for your wealth, to to not despise it. Don't, Don't feel guilty for having money or for having the ability to make money and to make lots of it. It truly is a blessing from the Lord. And with every blessing that we receive, we should use it to bless other people. So don't despise your wealth. But on the other hand, don't trust your wealth. Don't assign to it the task of keeping you safe and secure. That actually would be blasphemy. That's idolatry because that's God's job. He is the one to be your strong city, not your money. So, so here's the, the third warning for us. We're not going to despise it. We're not going to trust it. But we are going to make sure that we don't waste it. Don't waste your wealth. Don't waste your wealth by letting money use you. Instead, you use money for God and for good. If you think back to that parable that that Jesus told, he ends it by saying, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. In other words, the fool is the one who hoards his riches, who wastes his wealth, and is ultimately not rich towards God. 
But the wise, on the other hand, well, the wise are going to be stewards of that wealth that they have been entrusted with. They're going to use it for good, and ultimately, they're going to be rich towards God. Now, let me clarify for you what exactly it means to be rich towards God. Now, on one level, as you might have imagined, it does refer to giving to God. It it does refer to our tithes and offerings. And, you know, at a time like this, during this crisis, when we can't physically gather for worship services, we can't hold an offertory, it's really important to, to be reminded that we must still be faithful in giving to God and to His church. And so I want to encourage all church members to still keep up your regular pattern of giving. Right now, you're just going to have to utilize our online option for doing that. So keep that as a, a consistent pattern. But remember, when we're being rich towards God, when we're giving to the church, and giving to the furtherance of gospel ministry, just remember, we give not because God has needs. It's not because he's needy and we have something that we can can fill up for him. No, remember, he owns the cattle a thousand uh, the cattle on a thousand hills. The the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Remember these truths. Remember when we are giving to God, we're simply giving back what already belongs to him. So don't give out of the assumption that God has needs. And and really, don't don't even give and focus on the church's needs. No, when you give, focus first and foremost on worshiping God. When, When you give, when you're rich towards God, do you realize you are proclaiming to God and to yourself and, and, and to the, the cosmic forces of this present darkness, you are proclaiming that, that money, that wealth is not your master, but instead the Lord your God is. Listen to what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve two masters. Now, you could serve two employers. You you can have two jobs. I mean, you can imagine doing that. An employer only expects your loyalty and dedication during work hours. So if you can manage two jobs within 24 hours, well, hey, that's your choice. That's your prerogative. Good for you. But a master is different. A master expects your loyalty and dedication 24-7. There's no me time with a master. There, 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 are, there, is, there is just a demand of full allegiance. And so that's why the Bible says you can't serve two masters at a time. That's why you can't serve God and money. You're going to end up using one as a tool to serve the other. And let's be clear, friends. God is no tool. God knows when your true loyalty really lies with wealth and you're just worshiping him and and praying to him because ultimately you're just hoping that he is going to preserve your wealth or increase your wealth. God knows when he's being treated like a tool. 
And the reality is, God is the one who actually created money to be the tool. Money was never meant to be a master. It was never meant to have this much control over you. So don't let money use you. Instead, you were always meant to use money. God intends for money to be your servant. Our true master, the Lord God, gave us money as a tool that we can wield in service of his glory and the good of other people. So don't waste your wealth by serving your wealth, by by letting it have control over you, letting it use you all the time. No, instead, you put your wealth to good use as your master, as your Lord always intended. So let's think about, let's think about a good use for your wealth. I, I said earlier that I was going to give you some ideas. So let's go back to talking about the poor and how poverty is their ruin. And I said, I was gonna give you an idea for how to take all the blessing of your wealth and to use it to bless others. I'm sure you've probably heard by now in the news that um, a huge stimulus package was passed by Congress just recently so that very soon many of us will be receiving an unexpected check. Now, for some of you, this stimulus money is truly going to be a godsend for you right now because it is going to help you get through another month of this stay-at-home order where you're unable to work. And so for some of you, this is truly a godsend. But for most of us, extra money is nice, but it's just that. It's extra. And yeah, we could think of a number of good uses to apply it to, and none of those options would be bad or sinful. I mean, we could think about uh, uh, putting it aside within uh, our kids' college fund, or, or maybe we'll save it up for some home renovation that is, that is, that is something we plan to do uh, down the road. And you know, there's other options you could think of, and I'm sure they're all good ideas. None of them are bad, but at the same time, none of them are meeting basic needs that you can't afford right now. Look, in the end, in the end, whatever you do with your stimulus money is really between you and God. But just remember how blessed you are and how, how, how God has spared you from the ruinous effects of poverty. And so whatever you end up doing, I just encourage you to find some way, if not this way, just find some way to be a blessing to the poor right now who are particularly affected by this present crisis. And of course, you know, there's going to be some of you who won't be receiving a stimulus check because you just make too much money. You know, I, 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 like I said, all of us are relatively wealthy, but of course, some are more so than others. And so even though you won't be getting a check because, um, because of your income level, I still encourage you to just take that amount that you would have received if you were eligible. And like the rest of us, then think about how you could use that to be a blessing, to put that to good use for God and for others. Church, whatever God leads you to do, whatever you feel called to do right now to help others, just please remember 
to let the gospel be your guiding principle. That is really all I ask of you. You know, right now we, we see headlines every day about you know, this or that celebrity or sports figure or, or CEO who is donating millions or even billions of dollars in order to purchase you know, ventilators and masks and get them to hospitals or to places of great need. You know, people are donating so much money to helping others right now. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, wow, that is generous. Man, that is, that is awesome. You know, I, I would totally do the same if I, if I were in their shoes. If only I had their kind of wealth, oh man, I would be donating like that as well. But don't you see? Don't you see? If, if you're a Christian, you're actually richer than you think. That's really what the gospel tells us. Well, actually, the gospel first reminds us that we are poorer than we ever imagined. The gospel says that everything you have, so your, your house, your wealth, your investments, everything belongs to God. Everything that you assume you own is really a handout from God. So you are spiritually poor. And I know, yeah, you, you do put in long hours. You do put in hard work. And yes, you did earn that degree or, or that promotion. But the Bible also says that in God, we live and move and have our being, that he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, that he determined the time set for us and the exact places where we should live. And so in other words, you didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose where you were going to be born, where you were going to grow up, the opportunities you were going to have. That was all God. So all that knowledge in your head, all that, all that strength in your arms, even the breath in your lungs, it's all a gift from God. And so the way you know you've internalized the gospel, the way you know you truly do believe the gospel is when you no longer feel privileged. I mean, yes, you still recognize all the privileges that you have, but you no longer act privileged or entitled. You, you no longer feel superior to the most inferior of, of, of panhandlers standing there on the side of the road with a sign. You, you can honestly look at that man or that woman and you can say to yourself, but for the grace of God go I. But, but for the righteousness of Christ freely given to me in the gospel, that is exactly how I look before God. I look like a beggar. I, I have filthy rags standing before a holy God. But of course, in the gospel, Jesus saves me. Jesus took away my filthy rags and he covered me with his robe of righteousness. Though he was rich, yet for my sake he became poor so that by his poverty I might become rich. And not merely in material riches, but ultimately in spiritual riches. We've been given the kingdom. 
Only the Son of God deserves the inheritance of the kingdom, but yet in the gospel, he shares his heavenly inheritance with us. We are co-heirs with Christ. Let that sink in. Christian, do you realize how rich you are in Christ? And when we look at life from this gospel perspective, it makes hoarding wealth, hoarding supplies, hoarding toilet paper seem even far more foolish than it already is. We have every reason to be as generous, even more generous than the richest CEO or celebrity. We have more reasons in the gospel. When you truly believe you're rich in Christ, oh, it does something to you. It begins to loosen your grip on earthly riches, and it frees you to generously give to serve the good of others, especially the poor and needy, especially during a time like this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you, Lord, for convicting us, reminding us just how wealthy we are, first and foremost, in Christ, where every spiritual blessing is now ours in Christ, where your heavenly inheritance is ours through our relationship with your Son, Jesus. Thank you. And we also thank you for the relative material wealth that we possess on this earth. And we recognize now that ultimately it's not ours, it's yours. You've given it to us as a stewardship, as a responsibility. You have blessed us to be a blessing to others. Help us to not despise our wealth. Help us to not trust our wealth. And please help us not waste our wealth. May we use it for you, for your glory, and for the good of those you put in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.